Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connections, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello and welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics, Reconnecting to the Essence of You. This episode is about one woman, one car, one mission, and one world tour. Renee Brinkerhoff and her Valkyrie racing team are on a mission to conquer six rallies on seven continents in a vintage 1956 Porsche 356 with just one objective, to support and end human trafficking through her charitable foundation, Valkyrie Gifts. Hello, Renee. Welcome to Back to Basics. Hello. I'm so happy to be here with you today. Well, I'm already inspired. I, I read your biography. I don't think I, I, I need to say nothing else. I'm already in awe of you and what you are doing uh, right now. So I'm very excited about having you here and sharing your story with uh, my audience. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, first thing first, I want to know about where are you from and uh, your childhood? What did you enjoy doing when you were a little girl? I mean, did you race cars? When did you start it? I, I give you an open microphone to share with us a little bit of who you are. Wow. Woo. Okay, here we go. I was born in Virginia and I spent a fair amount of my life living in a very small beach town in Southern California. My parents, my dad was in the military when I was really young and he had a little small house outside of the base that he kept because we traveled. And uh, our travels took us to Taiwan and to Hong Kong and to Laos. And uh, I lived a total of about almost eight years in Southeast Asia growing up from the time. Uh, my first experience was when, when I was two to four years old. I lived in Taiwan. And my dad was a liaison with the American military and the Taiwanese military. He spoke Mandarin fluently. And uh, because of that, we always had lots of Chinese friends, you know, a lot of times they didn't speak English, but my dad would translate for us. And then later my dad retired and we moved to Hong Kong. He worked for a private company. And it, again, it was his language skill that opened those doors for him. And I lived there during what was the cultural revolution. Uh, I don't know if, if people are, remember this time in history, but it was Chairman Mao in China. He had the, the youth and they were called the Red Guards. Lots of rioting, lots of burning of buses, bombs, street graffiti, uh, just mayhem, absolute mayhem. And it was uh, the communists wanting to overthrow the rule of the British in Hong Kong. And they were, they also in China, they burnt the books in their library. They burnt the past, anything of education. They imprisoned people that were educated or who were uh, successful. And there was a whole destruction of their history and their past and it was very tragic in that regard. But so that was my experience in Hong Kong. And then later when I lived in Laos, it was actually during the Vietnam War. I was in high school. So in Hong Kong, it was late elementary and middle school years. And then in Laos, it was in high school. And I lived there for almost two years, again, during the Vietnam War. Um, 
that was extremely interesting. So looking back on my life now, I realized, you know, Renee, you thought that was an average upbringing, but really it wasn't so average. Well, I'm already surprised, you know, because I've heard this kind of story and you have some people that would say, well, I had a really hard upbringing and they would tell exactly the same thing you're telling about. I moved so much, I, you know, and the, and the change as something negative. And, I, and I'm actually uh, happy and surprised that you that you're telling the story almost like, you know, you got this opportunity to to leave these historical moments. Now, how did you fare as a child with the, all the move? Was that something that was heavy on you or you were quick to make friends and, and you just didn't feel it as much? I didn't mind the moving. I really always looked forward to a new place, a new country, a new language, a new people, new customs, just the new smells, the foods, everything. I, I always looked forward to that. I was always excited about moving and, uh, you know, packing up your things and then unpacking them when you got there and whatever room you're going to have and putting your things out again and making your little home and, and in your bedroom. And I, I love that part of it. I didn't feel like I moved too much. Um, it, I didn't make friends too well. I was quiet and had maybe, some, I was sort of, I was shy. I was shy and I would make friends, but it wasn't like I always was really popular or had tons of friends. So that part was always a little struggle, but I ended up always making two or three good friends. And as you know, if you just have that nice circle of friends, those people that are important to you close to your life, that's the most important. And then I had my family. I was super close to my uh, parents and they would take me with them when they were socializing. And I got to experience their life as well. So for me, all that moving was a positive thing. And I, I really enjoyed the enriching that it gave me. That's awesome. And when you were younger, like in high school, were you set on what you wanted to be? Did you have any particular passions or dreams that you wanted to pursue? Yes and no. Um, actually, no, we, we were talking about the struggles. I'll tell you what I did have a, as a struggle with that type of upbringing is when I moved uh, for my last time, in it was in high school. It was in my senior year, I believe. And that was really tough because I had just spent two years in Laos and I realized I was so different. I, I went to started going back to school with the people that I'd known in elementary school and we were so different and I wanted to pick up where we had left off and there was no picking up where we had left off and they didn't understand me and I didn't really understand them too much. That was very, very difficult in high school. But as far as dreams and I, I thought I didn't have a lot of like maybe concrete, but I thought, oh gosh, wouldn't it be fun to fly a fighter jet, you know, in the middle of the wouldn't it be fun to go be an explorer like Jacques Cousteau, right? Something like that. But nothing, you know, real concrete, just sort of big dreamy kind of things, you know? Okay. Well, uh, those were my aspirations. That's great. And so, and then what, uh, tell me a little bit then to going into ad adulthood and if you study something in particular, uh, I know, I know you have four kids, that much I know. So tell me a little bit about that, that part of your life. Okay, so I went to college and I ended up moving to Colorado to go to the University of Colorado in Boulder. And I was pursuing a medical profession. I was a, a science major and I was tracking in their pre-med kind of courses because I thought, hey, I would love to be a doctor. And again, it was, wow, a neuros neurosurgeon, that sounds really great. We could, you know, there was a lot going on in that field at the time. And I thought, 
I could be a woman and I could do that and I could do something really awesome with that. I thought that was exciting and something worth pursuing. But then I met a man who became my husband and he had just finished graduating from college. I was a junior in college and we got married. And then I, I started, continued to take classes to finish my degree but then within nine months, I was pregnant. And then within nine more months, I was having our first child and still trying to take classes. And I, I thought, okay, that's going to have to stay on hold for a while. And, and in the process, I started wearing the hat of not just mom, but for me, mom was teaching our kids. I thought, you know, here you have this amazing little person and you get to help discover with them all their strengths and weaknesses and their interests and their personality. So for me, being mom was, I taught my kids to read when they were two and three years old and we were doing mathematics and it just started getting legs of its own and a life of its own. And I ended up uh, meeting some people who were homeschooling and I thought, oh gosh, I'm never going to do that. That's, I say this with respect. I said, that's for weirdos. That's not for me. I'm not going to do that. Well, don't ever say you're not going to do something because a lot of times that's what you end up doing, right? And uh, so because my kids ended up being really advanced um, and we tried some different kinds of schools for them, public and private, I said, okay, I'm going to try this homeschool thing. I'm going to try it for one year. Well, I ended up doing that with all of our children, some of them through high school, some of them right up until high school. And that was my career path. That ended up being my career path. So I, and that was at the beginning of homeschooling and it was still very new. Uh, So I helped with curriculum and developed our own curriculum. And for me, homeschooling was, if I was good at it, I would teach that subject. If I wasn't, let's find out who is. So whether that's another parent or if that's someone from a, a museum who's a, a teacher there or a university or a school that I can hire to come in and teach my children and maybe some other kids. So we had like a little mini kind of home private school as well. And I did that for many years. Well, at least probably 20 years I did that. Wow, that's impressive. Was there a moment where you say, as a mom, I have a five-year-old and a nine-year-old. I'm not homeschooling, but you know, there, there, there's moments where you say, oh my, this is hard. And I love being a mom. I'm very engaged as a mom. But there are moments that are difficult. Exactly. So where, where you have a moment, did you have a moment where you say, I don't think I can keep doing this anymore? You know what? I had a lot of those moments. Even though I loved it, it was so hard. And I took that responsibility very seriously. I felt the weight of my kids' education. It was on my shoulders. They ended up all going to college with academic scholarships and did really well. So that was a success. But gosh, it was tough. You know, a girlfriend would call, say, hey, we're going to have lunch. And then we'll probably go bowling afterwards because that was what people did, you know, in years ago in my 20s and 30s. And, and it's like, I can't. I can't go. I want to. I can't go. If I go with you, that's two or three hours. They won't get their, their math. They won't do, you know, reading. They, you know, all these subjects we're not, we're not going to have. And I just couldn't do that. So all those kinds of things that I would have liked to have pursued, I just felt I couldn't. And then I ended up coaching soccer and driving the carpools and they were taking music lessons. I mean, my life was consumed and there were many moments I had a terrible ulcer. And I know that's how I got into racing because I ended up hearing, creating this dialogue in my head, which ended up getting me into racing. So yeah, it was tough. I loved it, but very stressful and very hard. And I know that I put that weight on myself. You don't have to do it that way, but with my personality, that's what it looked like. Well, but you know, it's, uh, I love it for several things. First, because you took a very untraditional path 
with four kids, to say the least. I mean, not two, not one, four, which is, you know, a little mini school, as you say. <laughs> and, uh, and you were successful at it. But also because now we're going to talk about this other part of your life, which is very exciting. You went on and did something that's so untraditional and so exciting. And I think for people out there listening, one of my main mission is you can do anything you want to do. It's just within your own potential and with your own will and your drive to make any wish come true. And, and your story, I think, is great because you were even uh, when we say you were a, a housewife and a mom, you were really even more than that because not everybody homeschooled their own kids and ensures that they uh, are successful into getting into college and getting their own career. So that's that's amazing. And so I'm sure there was a moment when they were all out, they say, and now what? Well, you know, I didn't have that kind of now what, but it was going on, right? It was more of an organic thing. It wasn't this conscious thing. I was just still in, uh, enjoying seeing my kids as they were in college and getting together and having more time with my husband and, you know, just having times to go out on dates and do all these kinds of things and was just enjoying sort of this quiet kind of more peaceful existence, right? It wasn't this massive crazy schedule. But what happened to me was in, like you were saying, this domestic thing, I was in the laundry room for gosh sakes. Here I was folding laundry, looking out the window and, you know, you, you think in your head, right? You're by yourself and your conversations in your head. And I heard, I heard a voice in my head that I realized I'd been having for over 30 years. And I heard myself saying, and I heard it for the first time, but I realized I'd been saying this for years. And it was one day I'm going to race a car. And I realized I had been telling myself that. And I realized, Renee, you told yourself that when you were having that really hard time getting out of bed in the morning because you were so overwhelmed with educating those four kids. When you were stressed out, that's what you'd been telling yourself. And I heard that and I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Like, what am I going to do with that? And it, it wasn't this joyful thing. It was an, oh no. <laughs> I was, I wasn't, I say I wasn't a happy camper. It was, in fact, I was a bit angry with myself. I think, what have you been doing telling yourself that? Are you kidding me now? You know yourself, Renee. Now you've got to go do it. Now you've got to go do that thing you've been saying. And I didn't want to go do it. It was just like, for so many reasons, I did, of all things, I didn't want to go do that. Um, and I could enumerate all those reasons why, but just to encapsulate it, it was a lot of fear. I was about to say, sorry, but I say, don't you think it was your fear telling you you don't want to do it and trying to convince you? I think you're right because absolutely there was, you know, fear of, oh, you're going to go out into this unknown. You know nothing about this. And I like to do things well. And so it's like, great. How are you going to do this? And then there's the danger of it. Um, what are people going to think? You got to talk to you, tell your husband and your family about this. What is your mother-in-law going to think for gosh sake? She's <laughs> traditional, right? You're, you're, you're in your mid fifties, Renee, and you're going to do what? So, and then, you know, just like I said, the danger, all those unknowns were overwhelming. But what rose up in me was you have to go do this, Renee. If you don't, you're going to be on your deathbed and you're going to have this massive regret that you were so afraid you didn't even try. So that's how it all started was I have to at least go try to do this thing. 
the voice in your head. I think the voice in our heads, you know, if we pay attention, we would be doing so many different things. Well, this, this podcast is a voice in my head. <laughs> I was like, go do a podcast and people were like, what? And uh, I never thought, you know, I would do something like that. But I just love listening to inspiring stories. And I love to to bring them to other people and say, wow, if she, if she follow her voice, maybe I should follow mine and I should go for it. Because I think people like success stories, obviously, but when they're far away from you and you cannot touch them, it's, you know, well, yeah, that that's them, but they hear you now telling you, you're unfolding my laundry. And I heard this voice. <laughs> oh gosh. It's so true. And, and I, I, so I think that's awesome. You're doing what was in your head. That's so cool. Yeah, and that's, yeah, yeah. It's that about like telling people, like first of all, listen, and then if you've been saying that, take it seriously, and don't write it off. Don't write it off. There's something there. There's something there that you've got to go do. You don't know what it is. You don't know what you're going to find, and it may not be what you set out to do necessarily, but you got to go do that. Whatever that is, you got to just like start tracking that out. And exploring is so exciting. I think you had it, I mean, you described it when you were a little girl and that you like new places. So I'm not that surprised that now you embarked in a world tour that I want to hear about, but you know, that now you're, you know, all racing all over the world. And it's kind of that you're in a new place, you know, every, every what, every week, every month. And uh, how's your husband dealing with that? (laughs) (laughs) I got to say what I never could be where I am today without his love and support. And when he finally realized that I wasn't talking, you know, like just, I was serious. When he realized I was serious and what I meant by, you know, I want to race a car, not, you know, what people do is cars and coffee. I learned about cars and coffee. You know, you drive with your car, you go meet some people, you have some coffee, you chat about your cars and you drive home, or you maybe you go for a half an hour drive somewhere pretty. No, no, I didn't mean that. When he realized what I meant, he was so supportive and he has been all along this way. I'm not saying he hasn't asked me, are you sure you want to be doing this? Because it's very dangerous. He doesn't like that at all. But when he knows how impassioned I am about it, when he knows how important it is to me, then he's there. And he's always, if he's not with me in in person, he's there a phone call away. If it's two o'clock in the morning and I'm frightened out of my mind because I'm going to start this day in this race and it's really scary, he's there to encourage me and say, I can do it. So yeah, without him and my family's support, it would have been, I don't know, very, very difficult. You've got to have people around you that will encourage you, whether it's friends, family, whomever, you've got to have those people. And if you don't, and just don't have anybody around you, just go do your thing. But you can't have negative voices. You can't have naysayers. You can't have all that. You can't people around you. I, I totally agree. I always say that sometimes it's sad when you cannot, if you know you want to share something, but you don't because you know the reaction you're going to get around you is going to be negative or they're going to try to pull you down you know you have to get rid of those people in your life. You always have to bring people that that make you level up, not not go down. And in your story, I also love that uh, as a learning point, even for me, is that you didn't, you know, when you hear these stories, people go through this breakthrough when they go into chaos or something major happens. And of course, you had a life transition, your kids left and, and, all, and all that. But it's, you know, people, they go like they unfortunately get sick or someone on they lose someone or they get divorced or something like that and then they reshuffle their entire life and what i love about your story is that you made it happen without 
without having to affect the core of who you were and, and your life and your family life. And I think that's very admirable because you don't hear it very often. Hmm, interesting. You know? yes. that. You're right. It's a lot of times it's massive change that creates this type of experience. But you're right. For me, it was just hearing that voice. It was, that's how yeah. it started. Yeah. yeah. You know, one of my best friends, he was never obese, but he got married and he became huge, but huge. And, um, and I, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, are you crazy? You've never been huge? Whatever. He got divorced. And then he became like an Iron Man at doing triathlons. He became the best chef of his life. He, he got married again. And I always joke around and say, if I was your ex-wife, I would go in the middle of the night and murder you. <laughs> you make her live with that guy, you know, that was completely abandoned. Oh, and then it took a divorce to get him go and, and find himself. Yeah. And that's you know, something. <laughs> it's crazy. I always say, if I was your ex-wife, I wouldn't be happy right know, now. Right, right. In any case, so then you got a car. And so tell me about this amazing journey you created, Valkyrie. Mm -hmm. Is that, yeah. is that you founded right, it, right? Yeah, Valkyrie Racing. Yep, Valkyrie Racing and Valkyrie Gifts. So, right. So then, okay, wow, right. I got to learn about everything. What kind of racing? Cars. All these things, don't know anything about all of that. And ended up seeing this car, which um, I didn't realize had this amazing history and, and all the story behind the car. And it actually was in 1956, which is the year that I was born. And at the time, wow. I didn't think about that, but it's like, ah, oh, you know, we're, just, this, we're the same age, right? Um, <laughs> but I got this car and okay. And then I thought, okay, now I've got to learn about racing. And I heard about rally racing. And I thought that sounds really interesting. So rally racing is you just go out on country roads and you just go as fast as you can on country roads and depends on the events. Sometimes the roads are closed. So that means they stop the traffic. That doesn't mean there aren't cars that slip through and shouldn't be there, or it doesn't mean there aren't, you know, rock slides or animals or those kinds of things, but traffic's not supposed to be there. And other races, they don't close it. And you have the traffic you have to go by, but it's more, more like rural areas. So, and, and, and I heard about this race in Mexico. So I said, oh my gosh, it's in Mexico. I can't believe it. I get to go to Mexico. It's 2000 miles. It's seven days. It's a race that started in 1950. It's got this great history. And I just read a few paragraphs about it on the internet. I said, that's it. That sounds like the one I want to do, right? So before I actually thought, I thought I better just before I do anything to a card, like to go down there and try to race, I better first find out what is this race and can I race? So I sent out a couple of emails. I'd heard about some people involved in this race. And sure enough, I found somebody who needed a, a co-driver, a navigator who had the same car I'd bought a different year, but the same model. And it was the anniversary of the race, the 25th anniversary. And they said, yes, if you will, you know, let me come meet you, meet my wife. Let me see how you drive my car, come to this track. And, and, you know, I think that might be okay, you know, because he didn't want to miss the 25th anniversary. And so all those things checked out and we went down together and I put my feet in the water and realized I love this. I love this. I can't wait to do this. And I, I drove a few days and I navigated um, as well. And 
I just was so excited by it. So what I would did is I went home and I said, okay, now I got to get a car builder to find the rules and we got to fix this car so we can go do this raid. I got to find a navigator. I got to find all these things and people to help because you can't go down just one person. It's a team. It's totally a team effort. And so you have a navigator. So just to tell you quickly, you have a navigator. The navigator calls your turn. So you drive what you see, but you actually drive what you don't see. Two and three and four, you know, turns down the road. So they'll tell you 30 meters, left two, 50 meters, right three. The numbers mean the difficulty of the turn so you can gauge how fast you're going to be. And then they give you the distance so you know, okay, I'm going to be braking quickly or these are stretches between turns. So you can sort of visualize in your mind what's coming and how to do it, right? So you see what's in front of you, but then you visualize ahead. And uh, so I found this amazing navigator. He said he would go with me. And uh, there's a whole story. I said, I want a young, good-looking Mexican man and how I found this guy. <laughs> there's a whole reason for that. You know, young because he'd be progressive. He wouldn't mind a woman driving for 2,000 miles as he sat next to her. Good-looking. We might get our photo taken. I was 57 years old at this time. <laughs> Mexican, it's his country. He'll know the country, the culture, right? So that was young. That was good looking and a man, man, because we we drive through these rural places out in the middle of nowhere and you do go through areas that are controlled by cartels. So I wanted to be with a man in case I needed protection, right? And Roberto said he would go with me. I didn't have to pay him. He wanted a new race suit. If we did well, then we could talk about giving him, you know, some money or something. He just wanted to go together, which was amazing. Then I had people agreeing to be my mechanics for free. And just to be a part of this. So we did that. We went down and we won. So this is, I'm quickly trying to tell you the story. We won. It was the first time in the history of the race that a woman came out and won her class in the first time of being in that race. And it was a a phenomenal, phenomenal experience. We went back and we did that race three years. We podiumed every time, either first or second. And we just had this amazing experience together as this team. And through that, we created Valkyrie Racing. And we thought, you know, we, we realized we had a voice. People were thinking, oh, my gosh, you do what? And how old are you? And I just started realizing I could use my voice to influence people. And we had been giving money and doing things in Mexico when we were going down. But I wanted to do something more. And I cared about child trafficking. So it's like, we can put these together. We can, and that's how the World Rally Tour started. The six races on seven continents was like, let's try to get a global voice. Let's try to get a, let, do something globally. Let's try to have a global impact. Let's try to grow this and maximize this to make this the most impacting thing that we can do to help kids that are being trafficked. So we took on races that either never had a woman or never had my car or all these kind of boxes, whatever we could check. You know, one race, I was the only woman out of 300 drivers. One race, they'd never seen my car before. They were yelling, porch, 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 which is how they say Porsche, through the mountains. And as you would come, and and it was the first time to have an old car. It was all modern cars. So we were able to do that. And that's what we're doing. That's what we've done so far. We've done six continents. We have one more to go. And Quickly, I'm, I'm sorry. I've, I've just totally gone on a roll of explaining all this to you, but there's so no, much to talk about. Great. I'm trying to give you a oh, quick, I could have quick overview. Yeah. 
Absolutely. No, I could have you on this podcast for, for like seven consecutive episodes because it's so, I mean, amazing. And I'm, I'm big on diversity and inclusion. We just co-wrote a, a book with 14 other CEOs about telling our stories. I'm in telecommunications, so it's a very male-oriented um, industry. So I love these stories because it is because of women like you that we are really opening space for for other women coming behind us and, and, and making this possible. And I think it's, it's really amazing and, and very visionary to, to link something that it's for the greater good and, and a fantastic mission to, to raise awareness about it. It's fantastic. And, and I know that you had planned to do, I mean, you, you've raised all over and I think you were, you are supposed to raise end of this year, beginning of next year in Antarctica or something like that. I read exactly that will be the final race of this project, project 356. And the goal is to race 356 miles to commemorate the car in Antarctica. It will be the first time a car has been on seven continents. Uh, We're hoping also to get a land speed record, uh, the fastest speed on land. Uh, We're going to try to do that in Antarctica and all of us like, you know, it, it sounds like sort of grandiose in a way, but really the, the reason is for all that is because people say, you're doing what? And then you can tell them what you're passionate about, right? You've got their attention. Yes, You've got absolutely. their ear. They're this looking the at you. Rather, They're listening yes. to you. Say, and you know why we're doing it? You know why? Here's why we're doing it. And you tell them about the problem of child trafficking. So, and in the process, we've been giving money in all these countries as we go along and et cetera. So, yeah, so this winter, if COVID doesn't flare up and if there aren't any travel restrictions we plan on being in Antarctica in December or January of this coming year. Wow that's fantastic and I know that uh, you can donate to the project so I definitely personally intend to do that but the information will be on the show notes everybody I think that uh, what Renee is doing and and the whole your whole team because you have a big team behind you that makes this possible is is really amazing and that and what's the plan after you finish this I I am sure you will keep racing but are you taking some time off or what how do you envision that that oh, end gosh. of the okay, world okay well Yes, I have great, some great ideas for after this. We've got, I've, I, I, my daughter, Christina, has been involved with me for a few years now. And she helps, we, the two of us are Valkyrie Racing and Valkyrie Gifts. So we change our hats depending upon our job, right, what we're doing. And in addition to all the, you know, stuff you do to run a business, she also films, she went to USC film school. So she does the filming and she does the photography and she comes along in all these journeys and she'll be with me in Antarctica. And then in my last race, I had my daughter Juliet in the car with me as my navigator. My very first time to have a family member in the car. I've been thinking about it for many races. You know, I would love to do that. How could we do that? That was fantastic. And so being down there with my two daughters was so exceptional and over the top that I've got this whole idea how we can do something else that might be like a first in history and do it with my daughters, continuing the raising awareness and giving money. And also, I just want you to know that everything for the racing is funded personally 
through our efforts, my, you know, by my working, my husband, my family, all that. And then people donate time and everything. And any money that's donated all goes to an NGOs that are grassroots. that are doing the majority of the work in the world. They do almost 80% of the work and they get about 20% of the money available. So that's who we partner with people in countries that are they're the boots on the ground to do this stuff. So, but yeah, I've got ideas of how we can do this more effectively, but even maybe get more, you know, like, uh, my daughters are beautiful and talented and I just think it'd be so awesome to do something with them. So I have some ideas and I can't really talk about it yet, but I've got everything cooking no, here. I imagine. Well, I definitely think we're going to be hearing more and more of you. Well, my, my son, my Nine-year-old, it's a F1 fanatic, and so he goes with daddy to see a lot of racing. So who knows? Maybe one day <laughs> we'll follow you and 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 come. <laughs> but uh, but it's fantastic. I really think that that you're doing a great great uh, effort that has meaning, and that uh, I can tell you know you're you you're beaming. You have a beautiful smile, and I think it's uh it's very admirable what, well, what you're achieving. Anything, anything anyone can do, whether it's, if you have a small voice, it's a voice. If you have only can give $5, it's $5. Everything, anything people can do, it all adds to the whole, right? And you add all these parts together and it becomes something big and something more. And we become more powerful and more effective. And people shouldn't think I can't do this because I can't do much or I don't have much. Don't think that way because there's actually more in your giving. It's even more than someone else's and it means more and it's more impacting in your life. You get, you receive right by actually giving, you get so much by giving. And then also it has a huge multiplying effect. So just to encourage people not to diminish their contribution, it's all, all worthy and important. Well, thank you so much, Renee. I really, uh, I'm a big believer of paying it forward and doing things and just that whole concept of just give as much as you can and, and, and you will receive. And I wish you a lot, a lot of success in your journey. Stay safe. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a fan and I'll be rooting for uh, you. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed being on your podcast. No, thank you, Renee. And, uh, and until our next time, because I'm sure we'll have you on Back to Basic at some other time. I would love it. Thanks so much. <laughs> thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And until the next time. Mm-hmm.